0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: Hey, gang, Mike, it's Mark with you. I hope you're all doing very well. You know, Mark, we've seen a lot of guys in this game. I don't know if we've ever seen anyone bring the fury like our guest today, Nick Swisher.
2: And he is the truth. Uh, Nick Swisher, uh, I have the ability to be on air with him, with MLB Whip Around with Fox Sports 1, and also Fox. And that energy is real. And why I say this is that it's just not on camera. It's not on the radio here. It has everything to do with him being able to be relative to everybody that's in the process meaning the camera guys uh the the makeup artists the, all the people around he brings energy to and it is the truth and we're uh, happy to have him on oh, Nick, man. welcome man
0: oh bro what hey i'll come on the show anytime y'all need me man if you give me intros like that baby i am down to do
1: that for sure well buddy we are thrilled you're able to spend a little time with us I'm- no, you're the only guy I know in baseball who's actually more busy in retirement than he was when he was playing.
0: <laughs> hey, man, hey, ask Swing Dog, man. Like, hey, at the end of the day, man, I'm 39 years old. That's a puppy in real life. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, at this point, I want to just continue to keep grinding. And it's like, I'm not ready to go out to pasture yet. I'm not ready to stop doing things. I still want to be awesome. I still want to make an influence on people. And like Swing Dog says, it's like, to be able to have the ability to still have these cool jobs that give you that team-type aspect, just like with you guys. It's like you guys are working together. It's a team. Everybody relies on each other, and that's usually when I feel when I'm in at my best because I know if I can trust you, I know
1: for sure you can trust me. Nick, 12 years in the league, man. That's a heck of a run for any player. Take us back to the day you got your call-up, September 2004. Guys, you you don't even know. Okay, let me me break this story down for you, right? So we
0: were in Tacoma, Washington, right? We were playing Seattle Mariners and AAA, right? And for myself, you know, I had had a pretty good run. I was actually feeling pretty good about where I was. And I think I'd hit maybe like nine or 10 home runs in a span of like 10 or 11 days. I was on fire. And so then we go to Tacoma. We're playing Seattle. I get to the ballpark at like noon for a seven o'clock game. And Tony, Tony De Francesco was my manager at the time, who was an awesome guy. And it's just me and him in the locker room. And so he brings me in and he's like, Swish, hey, you got a minute? And I'm looking around. I'm like, well, there ain't nobody here to talk to. So I'd love to talk to you, right? So all of a sudden we go in his office and he says, hey, Swish, do you think you could hit Ted Lilly? And I was like, I don't know. What do you mean? He's like the guy that's throwing tonight. You know, he's a left-handed guy. He's just like Ted Lilly. You know, do you think, you, you think you'd be able to hit off of him? And I was like, well, you know. I I don't know, but I'd love to give it a shot, man. I mean, like, you know me. I mean, any opportunity to face a big league pitcher, I'm all for it. I'm like, why? Is he on a rehab start? And he's like, no, he's actually pitching in Toronto tomorrow, and you're going to the big leagues. Oh, bro, I was just like, say what? So obviously the first thing you do is you want to call your family. You want to make sure they know exactly what's going on. I call my dad. Nothing. Call my mom, nothing. Call my grandma, nothing. Nobody was answering my phone calls, bro. And I have the greatest news of my entire life to tell my family. And I couldn't get through to anybody. Because sweet, you know, man, it's like it is such a lifelong dream for us to be able to make it to the big leagues. And when you get that call, it's just like for myself, it was just like the gates were opening up. And I was able to finally do the thing that I wanted to do most of my life and to play at the highest level. And so for myself to be able to get that. To get to have that conversation with Tony D and then not to be able to talk to my family at all was killing me, man. So, wow. you know, I mean, what an awesome time, man. I was so honored to be there. And by the way, I couldn't play in the game that night. I had I, Then I had to take off that night. I had to travel all through the entire night to get to Toronto for the next day. But, bro, I didn't sleep a week, but I was ready to be at the ballpark in Toronto for
2: sure. Swish, who took that first call, though? Who did you tell the the first time that just getting it off your chest? Finally,
0: finally, my dad saw that I had tried to call like three or four times. And finally, he called me back. He was in a speaking engagement. I totally forgot he had his own thing going on. And finally, it was just like me and my dad are best friends, man. And for my dad who played in the big leagues for 10 years as well, it was just one of those things where – I wanted him to be the first guy that I could tell that I finally made it, Dad. I finally made it. So it was awesome, man. Just to like, it's like taking me back to such a great time of my life. You know, it was just the beginning of everything. And now coming back on the tail end of your career and starting up new careers, it's almost like I feel like I'm in that same spot, still trying to prove myself, still trying to make another name for myself in other aspects of life. But for myself, man, you know me, bro. I mean, just to get that opportunity, you know. That the last thing you want to do is to be called up to the big leagues and get sent back down to the minors. And so I knew right then and there, this is it, man. I'm done with the minor league life. I'm done with the buses. I'm done with the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, bro. Like I'm ready to go to the show. I want some steak. I want some lobster. I want all that good stuff that comes along with being a pro ball player.
2: (laughs) You you touched down in Toronto and uh, take us through that first day because it is Uh, magical. It's a magic carpet ride.
0: I mean, it, it was one of the greatest days. So here's me, bro, who's like an extremely prompt guy on time, like prepared, ready to go. Right. So I'm like, you know what? I get in at like 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning. You know, it takes me about an hour to get all my stuff. I finally get back to the hotel. And I'm like, you know what, bro? I can, I'm, I'm going to take a quick nap, bro. I'm going to doze off here. It's like, you know what? At that time, I was watching TV. I was like, bro, what am I going to do? Make a long story short, bro. I missed the team bus. I slept through the team bus, bro. Oh, it was the worst thing ever. I, you know, you wake up. I'm, I look at the clock. I'm sweating. I practically ran to the ho- ran to the ballpark, bro. I got there. I was the last guy to get into the doors of the locker room, and everybody was waiting on me, bro. Yeah, there you go, Swift. First day in the big leagues, bro. Can't even be on time. Wearing me out. I get to my locker. I look on the top of my locker to see my name, Nick Swisher, number 30 at the time. And all of a sudden, there was a list, bro, a fine list of 11 fines for $100 a piece the first day I got to the big leagues. And so I still have that, that sheet till today. Some of the fines were I got fined $100 for having Brady Anderson style sideburns, right? I got fined $100 for having a nickname before I got to the big leagues. I got fined $100 for only getting to the big leagues because I worked the count. Because, <laughs> you know, Oakland A's, man. I mean, that, that was our thing, you know. For myself, I'd had 100 walks, you know, that A season. I think I hit like 28 or 29 jacks. I was feeling really good. And so for myself, just to have that opportunity was just amazing. And, you know, man, they put like a big star underneath my chair, bro. Just like, just wearing me out. Just like all the veteran guys do. Uh, and for myself, you got to remember, we came up in that money ball era. So mm-hmm. we were all just a bunch of young guys just still trying to figure everything out. So I was kind of one of the first guys that got my call up. And then obviously Joe Blanton, and then Houston Street, right? And then all these guys come right behind me. Uh, but to be able to be in that locker room with guys like Eric Chavez and Mark Mulder and Tim Hudson and Barry Zito, I'm just like, bro, this is crazy. Like, I can't even believe this is happening. I know for a fact, just like you did in the first day, bro, my feet didn't even touch the ground. I was, <laughs> I was on cloud nine, bro.
1: I was going to ask you if you ever decompress, but I'm getting the impression you don't. <laughs> nah, bro. Do, you know what, man? Do you, do, you rem- Nick, do you remember your first hit in the big leagues? Oh, come on, bro. Like it was yesterday. Come yeah? On, my first at bat off Ted Lilly,
0: 3-2 change up away. Spit on it, ball four for a walk, my first at bat. Then I came up my second at bat. I think I hit was a 2-2 fastball for a double in left center. And I'll never forget, man, I'm flying around the bases, right? Slide in the second base. Remember Orlando Hudson, right? He slaps the tag down on me real quick. Umpire says safe, throws the ball back to the pitcher, and looks at me, and says, only 2,999 more to go, young buck. <laughs> 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 I was like, bro, I never reached that 3,000 mark, but man, oh, dog he was there for me, man. I, I, it was such a memorable thing for myself, you know, just to be able to be in the big leagues and to finally kind of like just to get there, just to kind of rip the chains off. And the great thing about being a part of an o- the Oakland Athletics was they let us be us. We could wear our pants how we wanted to. We could wear our facial hair how we wanted. We could wear our hair how we wanted. And, and I think for myself, that was one of the greatest things that an organization could give me because my whole life, people are trying to tamp me down. They're trying to tell me not to be hyper, slow down, do it like that. But at the end of the day, man, this is who I am. I'm 39 years old and I'm acting the same as I was when I was six. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, like even when I, when I mentor young kids now and I work with kids now, I don't try and bring that excitement down. I don't try and bring that hyperness down because that's who they are. You gotta be you. Because at the end of the day, bro, if you can't be you, who are you gonna be? You're always gonna be following somebody. And for myself, that's not what I wanted to be. I wanted to be my own guy. I wanted to be my own man. And for myself just to be able to get there, bro, with the help of my family and all my friends and the village that surrounded me with love and excitement and proudness. Come on, man, I'm the type of guy. You give me a hug, bro. I'll run through a brick
1: wall for you. Nick, you got your uh, your hit out of the way, but you end up with 245 homers in your career. Your first one off Sean Douglas, yeah, September fifth. Yeah, 5th. yeah we, were getting, you, we were getting we did you waxed, pimp bro. it? Did you pimp it or did yeah, you right, did you go low profile?
0: Low pro, bro. We were losing like thirteen to four or something like that. I think we were getting waxed. And you got to remember, man. I came up. Like Jason Kendall was on that squad. Mark Kotze. I mean, veteran guys that kept me in line, big time. You can't, you can't be treated like they used to treat us back in the day. Things have changed a lot. If you're a young guy, man, you are supposed to be seen and not heard. But for myself, man, you can hear me coming from a mile away, you know? So I couldn't do that. So Sean Douglas, 2-1 fastball, down and away, bro. Home run to center field. And this is where karma comes into play. My whole entire life, I have been friends and pretty much co-workers with every grounds crew group that I've been a part of, right? I've cut the grass at Yankee Stadium. I've I've done the dirt on the infield, right? I could drag the infield with the best of them. So when I hit that home run to center field, guess who brought back the ball for me? The head groundskeeper of the Toronto Blue Jays at the time brought the baseball back to me. And so for myself, I'm just like, wow, this is where everything just kind of goes full circle. One quick story that I forgot to say that my dad, <laughs> I forgot to leave tickets for my parents. bro. <laughs> my first day in the big leagues, I forgot to leave tickets for my parents, bro. I was so nervous. I got out there. I was on the bench at 7.0, uh, no, 6.05 for a 7.05 game, right? I mean, I didn't know what to do. I'm just like, I'm sweating. I'm like, dude, I feel like I got a full workout in and I haven't even gotten on the field. So, you know, it's just all those things that you remember and things you go back to. And also, at the end of the day, man, just knowing how blessed you were to be in that position.
2: Swish, we need guidance, right? As players, we come up and we think we have all the answers. But when you get to the big leagues, it gets a little uh, nerve-wracking. What was the veteran guy that took you under their wing, and and what was that like?
0: So I can say my rookie year, you know, I was lucky enough to have those guys, like I mentioned, Jason Kendall, Mark Kotze, uh, you know, Eric Chavez. These guys were, I mean, they were a little firm on me. Because you had to be, right? like I'm like a wild horse, man. It's hard to to contain me at the end of the day. So I think for myself to have had those guys to be hard on me and teach me actually the blue-collar game of baseball, I could not have been more blessed. But I could probably say without a shadow of a doubt, one of the most influential players that I've ever played with has to be Frank Thomas. 2006 was my second full season in the big leagues. I think I hit 35 that year, drove in 97, You know, I had one of my greatest statistical seasons ever, and that was because Frank grabbed a hold of me. And and Frank was that type of guy that he'd been around for a while at that point, right? He was trying to resurrect himself when he came back to Oakland, and he did. I think he finished like third or fourth in the MVP, hit 38, drove in 114 that year. But Frank taught me a lot of the things that not only go on inside the game of baseball, but outside the baseball as well. And so for myself to be able to have somebody, a Hall of Famer, somebody used to have posters of growing up when I was a kid, put his arm around me and be like, hey, let's go to dinner. You're just like, you want to go to dinner with me? Are you you sure? Me? I'll be there, bro. And then you don't have to pay for anything. Because back then, the veteran guys paid for everything. They paid your dues. They paid for your lunch. They paid for your dinner, all that stuff. And that's how exactly I was when I got to the big leagues, because I was taught by those guys. It's not quite like that anymore. But at the end of the day, man, I was lucky to have veterans that had my back that, you know, whether at the time I thought they liked me or not, had my best interest in mind. And I can re- I really appreciate those guys.
2: Yeah, pretty cool that you get to uh, rub elbows with uh, Big Hurt, Frank Thomas on the TV show now, too. Yeah, so you totally. guys have, already have that chemistry. Yeah. The one other thing that I think is an aspect of a career that is really interesting is your rookie card. When you get your rookie card and you sign it from fans or whatever, what was that like for you and, and, and how special was that?
0: I mean, extremely special. Um, I think it's, it's got the same smile I have on my face now on the back of the card. I had two baseball bats and I'm just cheesing, right? Like ear to ear, like this is crazy. But more than signing baseball cards, remember, we came up in the Moneyball era. We were huge in that book. So instead of signing minor league cards and, and early big league cards, we were signing books. We were signing those, those Moneyball books. And so just to be able to be part of kind of that first introduction of analytics into the game and to see exactly where we are now. I mean, wow, Billy B, man, the Oakland A's were ahead of the curve by multiple years. You know, we, were, we weren't fortunate enough to pull off a championship. But, man, we went to the playoffs three times. We went to the ALCS, and that was when we played Detroit. And they were just extremely good at that time. But for us, man, like, you know, we, we, we went to the ballpark. We played baseball. And then after that, I mean, come on, man, we were 23 years old. What are you going to do after that? Probably things I wouldn't do now. But at the end of the day, man, it's like you go to the ballpark, you give everything you got. And then it's like, hey, what are we going to do afterwards? Most of the time, it end up doing something a little later and <laughs> later into the <laughs> early morning hours. But we were 23, man. We were able to answer the bell. Obviously, as you get a little older in your career, you realize, like, hey man, I can't continue to keep doing that, bro, because it's like I'm tired, bro. I'm exhausted. (laughs) And then I said, you get, then you get your wife, and then you get your kids, and then you're just even more exhausted, you know. So it's it's interesting to see how all that kind of just has its effect on you, you know.
1: You know, Nick, when you have this great time going in Oakland, I I would imagine you had been kind of surprised when you got moved to Chicago, then on to New York, which we'll get to in a second. But what what do you remember about Being told, we're going to have to make a decision here, move you out of Oakland. Uh, Disappointed.
0: Uh, Hurt. Uh, Just at that point, it was almost like I didn't understand that baseball was a business. Uh, I just thought it was just like, you know, it was a loyal thing. And I wanted to be like Cal Ripken. I want to play for the same organization my entire career. At the end of the day, thank God I didn't, because I got to go to multiple places and experience all of what baseball has to offer. But coming up as the number one draft pick for the Oakland A's, And wearing that green and gold on your chest all day long, it was so great. But then again, on the other side of things, come on, if you made a name for yourself in Oakland, you immediately got traded. So for myself, I guess I kind of took it as a compliment uh, because at that point, bro, I bought a house in spring training down in Scottsdale. I bought a house in Blackhawk, got to live there for like one month and then got traded. (laughs) I was like, Billy, I just bought like $3 million worth of houses, bro. Like what's happening here, you know? (laughs) So, you know, I guess you can look at it from either way. And and I know that, you know, if Billy wouldn't have gotten the players that he got for me, he wouldn't have made that trade. Billy's a businessman and, and I love him to death. He gave me my opportunity. And, and every time I get the chance to see him, I want to make sure I can go up and say hi and thank him for my opportunity. Because, like everybody knows man there's not a whole lot of opportunities that go around anymore and once you get that first opportunity you got to make something of yourself.
1: How about that opportunity you got when you got moved from uh, Chicago to New York oh, uh, bro. after the one season? I mean when I read your story on this I try to put myself in your mind which for any human being is virtually impossible, right? So why don't you share that with us? Yeah, how you, you got know. to the Yankees? Well, it's funny, man.
0: You know, I got traded over to the White Sox that year. And then a lot of things kind of happened, right? You know, I had Ozzie Guillen as my manager. Obviously, me and him were like oil and water, right? Like, we didn't match at all. It was just like two electric lightning bolts coming together. And it was almost just too explosive. Uh, also, too, man, I got moved to center field. And I got moved to the leadoff spot. And I had never done any of that in my life. So I guess in a sense, I could take a lot of, uh, a lot of not credit, but a, a, a lot of the blame for not being ready and not being open to those changes. I was so set in my ways. I was in the three, four, five slot in Oakland ever since I got there. And then all of a sudden, you want to put me in the leadoff spot and put me in center field? I'm like, bro, come on, man. I'm not that fast, right? And at the end of the day, I I hit homers. But now looking back on it, I was like, man, look look at the leadoff hitters they have in the game today the George Springers of the world, right? Even Mookie Betts when he was leading off there for a while, you know, like, you know, Trey Turner, like all these guys that are so electric. Grady Sizemore was a guy that really I looked up to a lot, man. He was a guy that I was always chasing because he was one of those guys that he signed that five for 25 right out of the gates. Come on, $25 million, bro? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Do you know how much money that is, bro? That's out of control, bro. I come from a town of like 10,000 people, bro. I could have bought the whole town for that. You know what I'm saying? I could have bought all all the property, all that stuff. So for myself to be able to sign that first contract in Oakland and then immediately being shifted. Yes, financially, I felt like I was okay, but still deep down, man, I, I wanted to be back in Oakland. I was comfortable with all that. And then making the change to Chicago was tough, man. On the field and off, it was a tough year. Uh, didn't put up the numbers like I wanted to. I think I hit like 219 that year or something. But I think I still hit like 24, 25 jacks, which is kind of Par for the course. At that point, I was hitting 20 a year. I think I did for eight or nine years in a row. And that, and that was kind of back when 20 plus homers, you were kind of considered a power hitter at the time. Now, bro, using these bouncy balls, bro, they'd be like 20. I hit 20 last week, you know? <laughs> so, you know, for myself, man, I, I, I had that. I was, I was so blessed to have such a rough time in Chicago that all of a sudden that phone call from Brian Cashman just changed my whole life. And the fact that somebody would have that much faith in you after you are at your lowest. For Cashman to say to me, we know you're way better player than that Swish. I know there's a lot of other people that don't think that, but right now we believe in you and we know you're going to be a great Yankee. And it was just like, bro, I have goosebumps all over my body right now for for somebody to say that to you and for somebody to have all that trust in you to know that you're going to give everything you got, man. Like, Cash and I are still almost best friends to this day, man. Like, and I still work for the Yankees being a special advisor. You know, I love that. And and for myself, I think that's when my love for the New York Yankees and the pinstripe came to be because I hadn't even put on a uniform at that time. I had just had one phone call with Brian Cashman and I get off the phone and I'm like, holy shit, dad, Brian Cashman. That was Brian Cashman of the New York Yankees. Like, oh my gosh, like in a million years, at the lowest point of your life, did you think somebody was going to reach down? And pick you back up, and he ended up putting me back on the top of the mountain. We ended up winning the World Series the very next year. Ended up being All Star the year after, and you know, and, and doing my best to to bring everything I could uh, to the New York Yankees organization, man, because I knew that I had failed, and I knew that I did not want to have that stigma of not being able to compete in this league. So I'll never forget, man, that 2008 season, moving into the 2009 season, your boy was ready. <laughs> I was in the gym, bro. I was hitting all day long. And then once I got around the veterans like Jorge Posada and Derek Jeter and Mariana Rivera and Andy Pettit, Alex Rodriguez, just to watch how these guys went about their business every day, man. It was easy to fall in line. And the one great thing I've always had is great work ethic. And obviously, I wasn't working smart. I was just working hard. At the end of the day, man, quality is sometimes a lot better than quantity.
2: Swish, it's an honor to put a major league uniform on, and you know that more than anybody. Of course. But putting the pinstripes on for the first time, do you remember that moment, even buttoning those oh. buttons and putting oh. it on? What was that like for you? I'll
0: never forget, man. Uh, I, I think more than that, Swain, I think it was the first time we got to Yankee Stadium. Uh, I think when they, because it was a brand new opening to the stadium. Mm-hmm. We had got we had flown in from spring. I, mean, I think we were playing a. I think we played in Miami. We played uh, a An exhibition exhibition games, and they flew us in, and we got in late at night. Well, all of a sudden they drove us to the stadium, and Swain they had every light on in that stadium, bro. And we wow. went into the locker room, down the tunnel, onto the field, and it was like. it it was like a movie. It was almost like no way somebody created this cool of a stadium and no way I get to play on this field. Right. So for myself, man, I always kind of, you know, you know, Dodger Stadium kind of goes like this with the Mm -hmm. stands. It kind of goes out. Yankee Stadium goes straight up. And so it's almost like the fans are right on top of you. And for myself, man, I knew this was my time to shine. Little did I know I was going to start off on the bench that year. But at the end of the day, man, it ended up working out amazing. And just to be able to be part of that organization and to share that pride, that passion, that tradition, that love that New Yorkers have for their team, man. It's like, I may be born in Ohio, baby, but I was bred in the Bronx. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a place that I feel love. Even when I go back to today, I got the chance to... uh, well. I don't call old timers day, bro. So I'm not an old timer, but maybe like, you know, some sort of a, like a reunion.
2: Tough to be at 39 as an yeah, old timer. Right?
0: I'm like, bro, I was an old timer. Me and Cece were the same age and he was pitching that night, bro. And I was playing in the old timers game. So for myself, man, I've just been so blessed just to be able to play this game that I love. And I also think deep down, man, just like you, you have girls. It's like, you just want your child to have a passion for something. And I was lucky to have a passion for the game of baseball because at the end of the day, if you don't have a passion for something, you're never gonna be that good at it because the amount of time that it takes to become great at something, you better have a passion for it.
2: When you talk about uh, the fans, I think it gets you excited, but especially yeah. at Yankee Stadium, you had a yeah. love affair of the Bleacher <laughs> Creatures. Yeah, so uh, give us that, give us oh, that. Uh, like, your feeling as a player. I, I mean, like literally
0: bro, like I, I started off on the bench, right? We, we, we opened up in Baltimore and then we went to Toronto, Or Then we went to Tampa and I ended up pitching in a game in Tampa. Right. (laughs) And it was like, well, what am I doing? I'm on the mound. I got New York written across my chest, bro. I'm like, this is crazy. I'm doing like a post-game interview. I look like a, like a seasoned vet. I got like six ice bags, bro. because I feel like my back's going to fall apart. Right. And then we get back to Yankee stadium and I'll never forget, man, just that feeling of opening day, by the way, man, for, for, for myself, Little Nick Swisher, brother, grew up in Parkersburg, West Virginia, to open up 2009, the new Yankee Stadium in the cleanup spot. Oh, bro, <laughs> let's go. Come on, man. Cleanup spots supposed to be for like A-Ron or like Big Poppy or like the Big Ballers, you know? But that's all right, baby. I'll take it. You know what I mean? I was like, man, put me in there. And just to be able to go out and enjoy that, that run out to right field, man, that first day, I didn't exactly know what to do. I was so nervous. I was like, I had shades on. I was like, dude, I didn't want anybody to see my eyes because I was like, I was so happy I might have cried. And I just went out, man. And all of a sudden, I just start pumping up the crowd, right? I'm like pumping everybody up like a WWE wrestler. And then from there, it just kind of just kept going and going. And then the guys would get in me. They'd be like, Swish, what are you going to do today? Hey, Swish, I I bet you won't climb the wall. I bet you won't climb the wall into the stands. And I'm like, oh, bro, watch me. So I tried to go out and climb the wall into the stands, epic fail, bro. Boom, came right back down, fell on my back, dude. <laughs> the whole stands is laughing at me. But I think that was just that love that, 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 that I had for them because they welcomed me in with open arms. And from coming from such a bad situation I had in 2008 to living my best life in 2009 was unlike anything I could ever even imagine, bro. I just I just knew somebody was looking out for me. Because, come on, man, things like this just don't happen to everybody. So I know how fortunate I was to be in that spot. And I knew that I was going to give everything I had, bro. I was going to go down fighting. And for myself to be able to get the opportunity to jump in that starting lineup, I knew that was my time. And if I didn't do it, there was going to be somebody else right behind me who was going to get it done. So it was go time.
1: Nick, the baseball God smiling on you for sure right there. Because in 2009, no as you're saying with the Yankees, this is a great team. You go on to win the World Series. You homer for the first time in an atmosphere that's not entirely unfamiliar to you either, because you're a postseason guy going into New York. It's not like you didn't have experience, but you did have your first home run in a lion's den, right, with Philadelphia in that World Series. Hey, bro, we took the train to Philly from New York, and I'll
0: never forget, man. I was thinking to myself, maybe I was just naive. I was like, bro, nobody's going to know we're coming into Philly tonight. No way. Bro, we got to the train station and there was thousands of people, bro. And I'll never forget getting off the train. And this guy was like, Swisher, I'm gonna, we're going to kill you. We're going to kill you. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, bro. This is Philly? This is how Philly gets down? Okay, all right. And I just remember going out and playing in the field. And I remember people throwing batteries at quarters. And I'm just like, oh, this, I love this stuff, man, because the pride that Philadelphia Philly fans have is the same that Yankee fans have. There is a blue-collar mentality, and that's exactly how they went about it, man. So I got nothing but respect for Philly, just like I do for Boston as well, man. shytown town I mean, come on, man. I mean, swear you've been to those stadiums. Mm-hmm. You know the stadiums that have that electricity and stadiums that don't. Because back in the day, man, I mean, Philly was hopping, bro. They had won an 08. It was the last time that a team had even gone back-to-back World Series appearances, besides the Yankees in the late 90s, early 2000s. And for myself, man, I'm thinking to myself, like, bro, how crazy is this? I'm playing in a World Series game? This is unbelievable, bro. I'm like, I'll never forget this, man. No doubt.
2: Well, when you start winning and uh, you win the World Series, then you get to get on uh, a a real good celebration. Tell, Tell us from Nick Swisher's eyes what that parade was all about. Oh,
0: bro, epic, dude. I mean, like. I had gotten off, we had just gotten down to City Hall, and the first person I saw when I got off the bus, right, when I got off, I got out of the cab, was Jay-Z. I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, hey man! I'm like, bro, that song is the jam, bro. You and Alicia Keys, you guys killing that song. You know, so for myself, it was almost like, wow, like like, like, what's happening? Like, I, I thought we were just baseball players. But at that point in time, you were bigger than life itself. And for that moment right there, that that hour-long or that hour-and-a-half-long parade that we were part of, bro, is, like, it's the closest thing that I will feel to, uh, to an absolute, like, you know, like, up top, right? Like, the big man upstairs is the closest I'll ever feel to being him because at that moment, there were so many people that were there. Remember, man, 2008, they didn't even make it to the playoffs. And then all of a sudden, we come back and win the World Series in the first year of Yankee Stadium, man. It was almost like... Like you're saying, man, somebody was looking out for us. The ghost of old Yankees past coming back, or or, or whatever it was. But to be able to experience all that, and back, back when I had that Mohawk, bro, you know, I had that <laughs> I
2: thought
0: it the Swish Hawk, bro, right yeah. down the middle, bro. You know what I mean? Like I had my like I had skulls all over me, bro. Like me and Johnny Damon were like rocking out, dude. You know what I mean? Like I'll never forget, man. I remember seeing a sign. I'm on top of the bus and I'm looking down. Somebody's got a sign saying, man. I, I'd get my firstborn to party with swish and I'm like, oh my gosh bro like this is it <laughs> this is it this is better than getting a bobblehead bro you know what I mean like the fact that like somebody would even say something like that about me is something that like fills me up to, to like no end because come on swain all you want to do is be remembered as a hard worker and a good guy yeah and for myself I, I was lucky enough to have that and I was lucky enough to gain that in such a short time in New York because let's be honest man it takes a special person to play in New York. And I don't know whether it was my DNA or just the way things just happened to work for me. But there was just a love that I have for New York and New York has for me that I will cherish for the rest of my life.
2: Swish, describe putting that Yankee World Series ring on.
0: Oh, bro, it's like this big, man. You know what I'm saying? It's It's like my championship rings are out of control, man. I put it on. I wear it every now and then, man. But then that thing goes right back in the safe. You know what I mean? But it was just like that moment, winning that World Series and next year, the ring ceremony. Here's a good story about that. All the guys on the team thought it'd be funny play a little trick on me, right? You know, they give you this beautiful mahogany boxes and in the middle, it's kind of like uh, like a, a magnetic piece that keeps the ring in place so yep. that you can see the ring is flashing right off of you. So I'm so stoked, bro. Come on, 2010, bro. I worked even harder that off season. I'm like, bro, we're going to get another one. And all of a sudden we're doing, I got like, Six batting gloves in each pocket. I got the wristies, bro. I'm swagged (laughs) out, bro. Chains everywhere. And then all of a sudden, I go to get my box. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like hugging everybody, bro. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, I get back in the line with everybody else. And I open up my box. And it's a fake ring, bro. It's a (laughs) fake ring. I'm like, this ain't funny, y'all. Where's my ring? I'm standing in line. like I know. And everybody's laughing at me, bro. They think it's the funniest thing ever, bro. And I'm like, bro. Where's that ring? I'm going to have to show you a picture of that that cheesy, that cheesy, like plastic ring they put in there, bro. But for myself, man, when I finally got that World Series ring and I got to put it on, it was a proud moment because it wasn't an individual thing. It was a team thing. And for myself, I always feel like I've been better in team situations, like we said earlier, because I know you're counting on me and I can count on you. And that's usually when I'm at my best.
1: Nick, you lived the Yankee fan legendary life in the span of a year and a half, basically, because not only you go there, you have the great year, you win the World Series. The next year, you go to the All-Star team and the All-Star game, uh, 2010, and the fans vote you in as the extra guy. I mean, what's that like when you go back to the bleacher creatures and give that kind of thank you? Oh, bro, you, you don't even know.
0: I mean, like at that point in time, it was almost just like 2009 was just like, a resurrection. It was just kind of like that phone call from Brian Cashman gave me the ability to do the things that we did. And for myself, that one phone call and that, that opportunity to be a New York Yankee put me on the map because I knew it was the greatest organization on the planet. I mean, even to today, I mean, it's worth like what, like $6 billion or something crazy like that. The organization's out of control. So for myself, I'm just like, how many people get the opportunity to do something like this? I mean, come on, bro. It's like a year and a half, bro. And all of a sudden, I went from the outhouse to the penthouse. Like, something changed, like, immediately. And so, for myself, I just knew that I wanted to give more and give more and give more and to give everything that I have. And then when, I, then when it came up to the All-Star Game, I'll never forget. It was, it was me and Kevin Euclid. Kevin Euclid was in Boston at the time, right? You know, the, the Greek god of walks. You know, he had the whole bat thing. You know what I mean? We actually had the same agent when I first came up to the big leagues. I think that was Senator Kerry was throwing out a bunch of like tweets for him saying vote for Kevin and the whole nine. And then all of a sudden, man, it was like we did that 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 fun little video where I was like, hey, man, I got my surfboard. You know, I got my Tommy Bahama shirt on, you know, but I don't have my ticket to the all star game. And at that point in time, it was almost like, wow, man, like you have a responsibility to these people. Like, these people love you, and you need to love them back with everything you have. So for myself to be voted in by the fans, I I, I I keep that trophy right front and center because that trophy right there means so much to me because that means you did something right. That means you affected people in the right way. That means that they wanted to vote for you. They wanted to see that smile on your face. And I'll never forget, bro, 2010, went to the All-Star Game, bro. Got to hit the Home Run Derby. You remember that, bro? I remember I swung yeah. at this the first pitch, but hey, who cares, bro? At least I was doing it, you know? <laughs>
2: Hey, Swish, uh, when you think of uh, royalty, it has a lot to do with the captain when you're playing with the Yankees. Derek Jeter's going into the Hall of Fame. Give us your best story of the captain, Derek Jeter. Oh, man.
0: You know what? Uh, I'll I'll never forget. I've had a bunch of them, but I think there was a moment for myself. uh, We were sitting on the the bench uh, in uh, Baltimore, as a matter of fact. And I'll never forget, man, he, he sat down on the bench next to me, and he just put his arm around me. And he was like, hey, man, you're doing it. You're really doing it. And I'm just like, oh, shit, man. Derek Jeter just said I'm doing it, man. Oh, my gosh. It was like the greatest thing because let's be honest. Nobody in that locker room had more, had, no one had more respect than Derek Jeter. And for myself to be able to just rub shoulders with him and to learn from him. And he wasn't that raw, rah guy like I am. He was a lead by example type of guy. So when he talked, people listened. And for myself, man, just to be able to be like, wow, man, like, hey, man, he just felt like a big brother at that point to me. And I was lucky enough that I've had so many guys that have reached out and literally just like helped you because come on, swing. It takes a village. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't get there by yourself. That's why I think where I am in my life today, I'm always trying to give back because I think I was all I've been given so many things in my life that it's, it's my duty, it's my obligation to give back and to help these kids move forward and to help somebody achieve something in their life that they never thought was possible. Because come on, man, if you get a group of guys or a group of women or a group of whoever moving in the right direction, man, that's a powerful thing.
1: Is that why in 2011, you put out the charity album to help the kids? Yeah, hey, bro, Which, come by on, the, let's be honest, man. Like, look, it, Nick, by the way, for folks who don't know, you can catch this online, Google it. And you're, are you really singing on this album? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Hey man. So
0: my guy, Lauren Harriet, bro, who was amazing. He calls me up one day. He's like, swish. Hey man, do you want to do an album? And I'm thinking to myself, like, this gotta be a prank call, right? No, no. I, I mean, I'm a decent singer in the shower, bro. You know what I mean? But I'm like, I've never done it you know, in front of anybody. And he's like, yeah, you know, we want to put out this children album. You know, Dwight Howard did it the year before and he made a good amount of money for the charity. And so at that point, I'm like, well, Dwight Howard did it? Oh, hell yeah, man. I'm in, bro. I am in. And so I went in there. It was a two-day, it was a two-day shoot almost. And I'll never forget what I've never been into in a music studio before. And all of a sudden I walk in and there's like a mic, a partition behind me, and then like a glass window, right? <laughs> and so everybody's like watching me. And I'm the only person in the room. But I'm like, you know what, man? Forget this, bro. How many times are you gonna ever get to sing on an album? You know what I mean. Just close your eyes, bro, and just do the best you can. And so for myself, I was able to cover a bunch of songs. I still think my best song is "Lean On Me," man. It sounds good. It sounds Let's really it. good. Let's hear and, it. Let's hear a little bit. And also, too, man, just like you know, having those children in there too for the background sound was amazing. I need.
1: Let's it. hear you. Let's hear come you yo- a little bit. Little "Lean On Me." Can you give us some?
0: Yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm the auto tune bro. Come on now. Let's go, Mike.
1: Jeez, <laughs> man. <me. laughs> You play, let me get this right. You played in Yankee Stadium in front of 50,000 people. Yeah, 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 And in the privacy of this podcast, you won't hum a few boys. <laughs> all, all of a sudden, hey, you got shy on hey, me? We we all have insecurities, bro. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I guess we'll just have to go to Google, Mark, and then uh, it, hey, take hey, a clip and drop it in.
0: Spotify, bro. Spotify <laughs> or iTunes Music, y'all. For real.
1: You know, Nick... <laughs> You had this chance to do so many different things. I don't know New York affords a lot of guys opportunity, but the style of play and the personality you have also certainly a big part of that. You also had a chance to do a little television work prior to being an analyst, how I met your mother. Oh yeah. Right. Let me me tell you how that thing went down. So I had just started
0: dating Joe, Joanna, my wife at the time, back in 2009 And that off season, you know, we had been dating and we, I I felt hard, man. Like my wife is the jam, bro. Like I felt hard for her, like quick. Right. And so the next thing, you know, in the off season, I'm thinking to myself, like, all right, well, what are we going to do? And she's like, Hey, you know, I'd I'd love for you to come back to Los Angeles. And at that point, like, I'm like, wow, she's got her own house. She got her own car. She got her own money. She don't need me for nothing, but she wants me to be there. It was amazing. So we went back and I had never been at that point. I'd never been on set. Well, that week Joe was going back to do How I Met Your Mother as well, and so when I walked onto the set, all of a sudden, man, every writer they had was a New York Yankee fan. So it's all of a sudden I walk in, and all these guys come up to me, man, I'm high five and everybody. I'm like, bro, what's going on? I have no idea who these people are. Right? I get to meet everybody on the cast. Like they made me feel so welcomed and so awesome. And all of a sudden, one of the writers was like, Swish, do you want to be on the show? And just like that album, I was like, hell yeah, bro. Let's do that, man, you know? And then they wrote me in the next episode, which was by far, in my opinion, one of the greatest episodes, no doubt. Jim Nance was unbelievable, bro. The perfect week was spoiled, almost. But for myself, bro, come on, man. Just, I'm such a yes man when it comes to that stuff because I want to be able to experience it all, man. I don't want to, I don't want to shut this life down not doing anything that I've ever wanted to do because whether you're good at it or you're not, Sometimes you just gotta jump in there both feet and see what happens.
2: Swish, isn't it important to know that uh, your life changed when you had Joe, you have your two beautiful daughters, but Joe has a a career of herself. How have you adapted to that where you've switched, where now you can be a, a father and you can yeah. let her go on and flourish.
0: Yeah, totally, man. I am second in command here in this house, man. Financially, bro. <laughs> I have. Not, who makes the rules? Like the whole nine, you know? And, and I think that was the biggest thing for me. And I learned that really early when Joe and I first started dating. She was like, hey, hey, Nick, I, we, we had gotten into a little tiff maybe a couple of weeks into us first dating. And I remember her looking at me and being like, Nick, remember, I don't need you. Okay? I want you. And at that point in time, it was just like, Wow. Because for myself, I would never dated a powerful, strong woman like that before that could stand on her own two feet and didn't need me for anything. And that's a turn on to me, man. People that are powerful and, you know, aren't scared to be themselves and and do things for themselves. I mean, like a powerful woman, bro, that's a a sexy thing, man, you know? So (laughs) to be able to have that and to learn a lot from her as well, the way she goes about her preparation. By the way, you want to talk about a hard worker, bro. I mean, if there is somebody that works as hard as me, bro, it's her. No doubt about it. And I think she also taught me a lot about where I am in my life now and kind of the second half of my life and exactly how the entertainment industry works and how you really cannot burn bridges. You have to be the nice guy. You have to do things right all the time, at least for myself, because come on, Swain, like in the commentating world, there's a few guys that get the jobs, right? Mm-hmm. The controversial guys get the first crack. Because for some reason, people like to hear all that negative stuff. The Hall of Famers get the second crack. So I'm thinking to myself, like, where am I going to slot into this? How am I going to bring my, you know, my style of, of, of commentating to the actual game itself? And I guess maybe just the energy and, and the smiles and, and the love and the passion and the excitement for the game is kind of where I'm at. Because come on, man, I mean, we're, we're so blessed to still have jobs, right? Come on. How many people retire every year? Mm-hmm. How many people try to be analysts every year? And for myself, as well as y'all, to still have jobs like this and to not be bumped off by anybody, man, we must be doing something right. And I think that has a lot to do with about being great people and standing for the right things. And for myself, man, that's always that's all always what I try to do.
1: Nick, you ever give any thought to getting back in the game? I know you said you're a special uh, assistant and kind of an advisor to the Yankees, but I mean more in a full-time role, maybe oh, yeah. in uniform oh, yeah. again.
0: Oh, yeah. No doubt about it, man. I, I don't know whether I'm going to be a manager I'm going to be a general manager, but I'm going to do something. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I I have too much love for the game now. Uh, I think at the phase of life that I'm in now, I enjoy being home. I enjoy being a dad. I love my two daughters more than anything in the world. And I want them to grow up to be strong and powerful, just like my wife. So to be able to be around them, to have the fortune uh, to be able to be home with them is a blessing for me. Sweet. I mean, same thing with you, bro. It's just like. You never know how blessed you are until you're actually in that position. And it's almost like sometimes you feel like you have to continue to keep doing stuff when at the end of the day, man, my daughters don't care what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. They don't care what struggles I went through. All they want to do is wake up and see their dad every morning. And for myself, that's what I want to do. I want to go up there. I want to wake them up. I want to carry both of them down on my shoulder, bro. I want to make breakfast. I want to take them to school. Well, obviously, Joe's, Joe's a way better homeschooler than I am. <laughs> But at the end of the day, man, that's what I want to be. So maybe in the next five, 10 years down the road, I think I'll do something like that. I'm having a lot of fun right now mentoring the kids that I'm mentoring and being able to work with the youth and to be able to help them, man. Because it's funny. It's amazing what happens, man, when, like a Derek Jeter, when you just put your arm around somebody and you just tell them that they can do it and you just help them along the way, how much that can really propel an individual. Because for myself, man, and like I try and tell a lot of my buddies, even if they're coaching their young kids' teams. Like 75% of kids will stop playing baseball by the time they're 13. So if that's the number and that's the stat, why don't we enjoy the game more? Why don't we teach these kids to love the game, be passionate about the game? You know what I'm saying? Just enjoy every second because we don't know what their lives are when they go home. That practice that they come to once a week might be the best two hours of their life. And so for myself, I want to make that the best two hours that they got And then I'll catch up with them next week. Right. Give them nicknames. Give them confidence. Give them a platform. Give them something more than what they have. And come on, man. Hey, bro, I just want to wake up every day, hit the ground and be awesome, bro. That's it.
1: Nick, we can't thank you enough. You were awesome with us. We appreciate it. We wish you all the best of luck, not only with the broadcasting career, but if it takes you back on the field or the front office, good for you and good on you. As they oh, say man. in your world.
0: Well, Mike, hey, brother, I really appreciate that swing, bro. I, I love you like a brother, man. Like, you right guys back are so great, you, man. man. Um, I mean, everything with what you guys are doing is amazing. I think these big league first is great because you get some great stories from a lot of guys. And not only that, man, I appreciate you having me on, man, because you just took me back to a great place, man.
1: Well, you took you us there. It, Thanks just, for the ride. You got Thanks, it, man. I love you guys,
0: it. man. See y'all later.
1: Bye, Mike. All right, folks, well, thanks for checking out Major League Beginnings. If you had as much fun as we did, we hope you can go ahead and smash that subscribe button anywhere you usually download your podcast from. You can pick any platform, really, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, it doesn't matter, whatever you like, we're just glad to have you aboard. We'll see you next time. Thank you for
0: listening to Believe.